I just want to say this weekend when I look, thank you, if you want to open it. Um, oh, Ruben, you're, oh, you're a lion. Thank you. So when I um, looked at the program for this weekend, I thought, okay, I'm going to be exhausted, you know, especially Saturday, Saturday morning with the, with the app guys and then um, Saturday afternoon workshop and then, oh, and of course, Friday evening, the leaders and Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and then last night we had a baby shower. Um, and, you know, I was, I've been so surprised. I'm so refreshed. And I, I think it's two things. One of the things is I am ministering into a congregation that's been built so well. And you guys have such incredibly soft and teachable hearts. Like it's been, it hasn't been hard labor. It's been a job that's been a joy. And also the way that Steve and Kathy and, and the other leaders, like, like the amount of people that's come up to me, Melance, we want you to know, we don't take you for granted. We appreciate you, you know, even though you furniture and, you know, like we, you know, it's easy. Like I'm, like if you don't see me, you'll hear me somewhere. Like, I'm, you know, like Josh is my home, you know. And I, um, and I just want to say thank you for the way you guys have really honored me and received me. It's made it an absolute delight to be here. And even tonight, thank you for bringing your hungry hearts before Jesus tonight so that he can pour, could pour himself out and we could have this lovely toasty time. But I, I almost don't, I don't want us to leave that behind. I want us to continue in the current of the Spirit because I do believe that the Lord has a word for you as a congregation tonight. And usually, because I'm a woman under authority, because I believe that the, the men, the elders carry the governmental authority when I bring something to the church, I bring it really with fear and trembling. I mean, at any minute, like Stefan could jump up and go, heresy, you know, or Monet can say, no, that's out of line, you know, stone her. No, like you won't do that. But, but I am very aware that, I, that it's a great privilege for me to have this mic in my hand. And it's not to grab in any way the steering wheel of this congregation. It's, I would hope, to to serve also as a, not just as a prophet, but as a deaconess who makes the elders' job a joy. And, um, and yeah, so what I bring today, I trust it's the word of the Lord. I trust that it's a, a longish prophecy and that you guys will hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying to you, that you'll respond to the word. As we said at the workshop yesterday, God is not just, um, he's, he doesn't want children that listens well. He wants children that obey, that respond well. So I, I usually... When I, when I ask for a word for a congregation, I say, Lord, what is it you want to say to the churches? And recently I've heard him say, oh, sometimes he throws me with what he says. Like he said, I am coming back soon. <laughs> and I'm like, I was just out of it for a while because I'm like, oh, my hat. Like, and, and, you know. And I, I, I was just so aware that something in me has become almost cynical about that line, you know. During... Um, COVID, like there was so much of Christianity, uh, um, prophecy that was given a bad name, you know, like just with the way people try and predict stuff and it gets all weird. And over, over um, the, the centuries, there's been often been words about the dates and the times that the Lord's coming back. And, um, and in a sense, when you say to people, the Lord's coming back soon, they go, yeah, Christians have always believed that. Every generation have expected him back in their generation. But I... I believe, as I spent time with the Lord on this, that he is pleased with the people that expect him back any day now. 
any day now. It was right that Paul lived like that. It was right that the apostles preached the gospel like that. It was right that they built church like that. It's right that we live our lives like that, knowing that our king is coming back soon. And we don't know the, the day or the hour, but Jesus said soon, 2,000 years ago. So we know it's sooner, 2,000 years sooner than soon. <laughs> um, Romans 13 verse 11, I love the scripture. It says, besides this, you know the time, and this is 2,000 years ago, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We know he's near, and we know that, that he's coming back and that he doesn't want to find his servants asleep and wasting their lives. So awake, Marcel Bay PM, and awake one another. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes out for one another. Um, be alert to the enemy's um, schemes of, of distraction because Jesus is coming back soon. To Timothy, this description of the last days is that people will be lovers of self. And obviously the last days started with Jesus' first coming. And, and these things are increasing, lovers of self. But we want to be lovers of God. And I, I'm so aware, you know, yes, we got hit hard, like at the three conference time, at the conference, Ryan spoke about pride to the lead, at the leader's time. And then, and then um, uh, who is it that spoke about humility? Andrew, do you guys also, you can't remember who said what because it was, the Holy Spirit was preaching and cutting you to the heart. I, I, on the preachers group, I said, guys, like, I think it was one prophetic preach, teach by one person and you guys yielded to him so beautifully, you know. But anyway, so, so we, like, I, I was just, I was just so aware of this stinky, sinful nature that I still have to carry along that's supposed to be dead, you know, but once to, when, like, instead of um, my soul awaking to the Lord, my sinful nature, like, wakes up sometimes, and it's this, like, zombie, icky experience, and I, the best thing for me is to watch toddlers. I'm so aware when I watch toddlers, and they, like, fully me, myself, and I. You know, if a toddler is at his little baby brother's baby shower, he thinks all the presents are for him, you know, and when I look at them, I go, we're still like that. We just hide it better. You know, I, 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 the thing that God got me to the heart was when I listened to the thing on pride was I realized that I'm more concerned with, the, I was, I repented, I was more concerned about me coming across arrogant or prideful and you guys thinking I'm prideful than I was actually worried about there being arrogance and pride in my heart. So instead of going, Oh, Jesus, cut my heart. I was like, ooh, ooh, I mustn't say that again. That sounded really arrogant. It is terrible. It's, we are terrible, but he is wonderful, and he doesn't give up on shaping us, and he will continue to prepare his bride by changing us and also by using us in one another's lives. So in these last days, we want to become a church we all of us exchange our longing for position and recognition and man's honor for life that puts eyes on Jesus and brings him honor. Every single one of us. In one of the meetings, at, I mean, it must have been the worst thing to say to Dan. He was leading the meeting. And I said, Dan, I have a sense that God is not going to do what he wants to do until he's got every person's full attention. 
And it was such a difficult meeting to lead because it was almost like the Lord wasn't, he wasn't going to fall for our 90% or for like, you know, a good 80% of my heart. You know, that's an A plus or 85 is an A plus or, you know, some of us, he wants a people that's fully devoted, every single one of us, every part of our lives, every part of our hearts, living to honor him, living as if he's fetching us tonight. So scripture is, is full of just that encouragement of us not living for ourselves, but preferring our brothers. And the, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And, and, and the parts of the body that we consider the least will be, receive the greatest honor. And, and this is upside down, downside up kingdom of God just going against our grain, going against the flow that's in the world, the current in the world. But when we sit on fire like this in his presence, everything's inside me going, oh, what a great adventure than swimming upstream, <laughs> than, than standing out this, instead of fitting in, then instead of going with the flow of the, 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 the world and, and the enemy to go with the current of the spirit. What an what a amazing call on all of us, young and old. Like I also know like what it feels like to get older. I feel sick the next day if I stay up all night. I still sometimes pain through the night. The next day, I'm a write-off. Where were the days in our 20s? Can you remember when you could work through the night? Or like early days, Joshua, we would eat ice cream on the beach at four in the morning after we had church and then a worship party and then ate something and then decided, why well, go to sleep? Why don't we just spend the night chatting and then ice cream on the beach and then you find the next day. Those days are over, but when the fire of God stirs in our bellies, we might not be able to stay up all night, but we can be a people full of zeal. Yeah, so, so we've heard about the humility of God, the, the example of Jesus. I'm not going to look at that um, scripture again. But a human example that I want to lift out in scripture, and I, I found it so delightful to see this. Um, because it's an obscure symbol. Uh, so there's a very clear picture we see throughout the Old Testament and New Testament of the bridegroom and the bride, right? That's a very clear picture. But what I've never noticed before um, is in the Lord saying, I'm coming back soon. The scripture he took me was John the Baptist, who was busy preparing a way for the Lord's first coming, and him shouting, behold, look. And as a people, as a prophetic church, in that sense, we're a John the Baptist generation that before his second coming, if we are prophetic, we should be those who go, in a sense, repent, behold, look. And it was so interesting because um, I read just yesterday, um, some of the Pharisees didn't listen to Jesus. They didn't receive him because they didn't receive the baptism of John. So there's something about, there's some people that will not receive him in those, these last of the last days unless they encounter uh, John the Baptist generation until they hear the word of the Lord through us. And unless they cut to the heart as we share the truth of the gospel, as we live our lives. John 3 verse 29. So this obscure thingy, I'm confusing you. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. So now John, people were asking John, are you the one? Or is there one to come still? And he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. He's saying the bride's not mine. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him. 
rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. This is wonderful encouragement. The friend of the bridegroom is one that listens and loves hearing his voice. And, um, and then John goes, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. And I, I was looking at this going, so this is one of the secrets of joy, true joy, is that he must increase and I must decrease. An invitation to decrease, uh, an invitation to be a faithful friend of the bridegroom. And that, we, I've always just read it as a friend of the bridegroom, but a very bad translation of that in our culture would be a best man, but it's not, it's so different. You'll see now, I'll read you the, 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 what, what a friend of the bridegroom did in those days um, for, for, for the bridegroom. Um, but the, the, the word in Greek or Hebrew is shoshpen. In the original language, it's shoshpen. And I, I can't use it, a friend of the bridegroom. So if you guys are looking for, for names, nice names for your little babies, like imagine calling your baby friend of the bridegroom, you know, shoshpen. Isn't lovely? No, no, don't. Don't. Christian people, please, don't give your kids weird names like that. Um, <laughs> but um, so the friend of the Shoshpin, he, um, he, this is like the traditionally what he did. So he presided over the betrothal ceremony, the wedding festivities, the preparation of the bride for a bridegroom's return, he was responsible to protect her reputation and her purity. I mean, this guy was like wedding planner, bodyguard, like everything. He built the wedding canopy, the shuka, where the marriage was consummated, and he was responsible to keep rivals out. So on the wedding night, he's like, Ooh, no oak is getting in there, she's all his. Like, what a, what a picture. Um, he carries messages between the bridegroom and the bride. He presided over the encounters. He carried gifts from the bridegroom to the bride. And it's interesting, those bride gifts were called uh, matan, which is translated in Greek as charisma uh, or or something, but it's like a similar word used for the gifts of the Spirit. So he was a faithful friend and servant. And we see in Gen Genesis 24 verse 1, Abraham sends a servant to go and fetch Rebekah, hey, a bride for his son. And they don't even mention this guy's name. So in all of Scripture, that's the only two people that I could find that is now a picture of the Shoshpin, an example of a Shoshpin. And I think it's that way for a reason, because the shoshmen must decrease and the bridegroom must increase. So, so we have this beautiful symbol that, yes, we are the bride of Christ. We are loved. He's coming back for us. Um, he is, yeah. But at the same time, we have a responsibility to the bride as friends of the bridegroom who stands and listens and rejoices at his voice and decrease so that he might increase. Are you guys with me? Is it cool still? So Paul also kind of, I've never seen this before. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but 1 Corinthians 11 verse 21, Paul says, do you have that scripture? 
Paul, as, as the shosh being, is jealous over the church. And he says, I promise you, says to the Corinthians, I've promised you as a pure bride to one husband, to Christ. And he doesn't speak as a father. He speaks as a friend of the bridegroom, saying, hey, I'm looking after you. I've promised him that I'll keep rivals away. I promise him that I'll help you get ready. I promise him that I will help you to not get distracted by other lovers. It's an obscure image and not as common as the bride and the bridegroom, but that is the beauty of the friend of the bridegroom. And you know, as a people, God has called us to great things. And there's people that come from America to go, you know, you're less humble, you know? And it's really hard to stay humble when people call you humble. Like, it's like, it's like, oh my goodness, we are so humble. We know how proud we are. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wondrous thing that God would take us. I mean, uh, Mornay was saying, it wasn't just Andrew and MC, it was the other bunch of people. That bunch of people, like we were going, huh, we don't know what we're doing. And still we had, have this joke, we look over our shoulder and we go, oh, could this be God? Because it's definitely not us. It's a bunch of foolish <laughs> people that didn't come into the kingdom with lots to offer God. It's people that he's picked because he said, okay, I can show my glory through them because they have nothing in themselves that's impressive. And that is all of you too. Welcome. I said it to people and they laughed. And I thought, didn't they know that? Like, welcome to the home of the misfits. You're not here. You've not been added here because you, many of you are of noble birth or you wise according to human standards. You've been added here because God loves using the weak things and the stupid things to sound the wise and the strong, to make his name great. We must become, we must decrease and he must increase. Our, our desire would be that if people look at us, they'll see Jesus. So I was just thinking in terms of the gifts of the Spirit. Like, you know, it's, it's such a wow that the friends of the bridegrooms, we get to carry these gifts that the Lord entrusts to us and it's for His bride and it's precious things. And the Shoshpin must, must have been a very special guy, hey? Because sometimes this responsibility took up to two years. So for two years, he's got connections with this chick. The bridegroom is going away to prepare a home for her. He gets to her and he's like, gifts for you from the bridegroom. And she's going, oh, 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 that's so beautiful. That's amazing. I'm so encouraged. Thank you. Oh, you're so prophetic. And the guy have to go. I must decrease and he must increase. He must use those gifts and messages. But imagine now a bad friend that would start using the gifts to get her eyes on him. Imagine a friend of the bridegroom. He would be no friend at all if he starts charming the bride with gifts and messages that the bridegroom have sent. And it's such a responsibility we carry that we use the gifts of the Spirit in a way that points to Jesus. So how do we use the gifts of the Spirit? Another thing I had to do is he protected, he had to protect her purity and her reputation jealously. How do we talk about his bride? What do people think of her based on what we've said? You know, how many times are we the splintered Christian that, that damages the bride? When we say when we allow impurity in our own lives, we cause infection in the bride. We cause 
the bride to be stained. So as we live our own lives, as we as we as part of the bride, we live out our own lives, as we speak about her, as we speak about one another, are we jealously protecting her purity and her reputation? It's a little bit of yeast works through the whole dough. And when we serve well as good friends of God, do we insist on man's reward and things? Or are we happy to know that he's pleased? And I can just picture the wedding feast. The guy I have worked for two years, eh? He had to protect the bride. He had to help her get ready. He had to check that the outfits are all good. He had to build that little canopy for the wedding night. Um, he had to make sure there's enough good wine and food and everything. And as the party's going on and everyone's celebrating and everyone's carrying on, oh, how beautiful is the bride? Oh, how handsome is the bridegroom? And he's standing in the shadows. And the only times people come to him is when the wine runs out or when the pastries are burnt. Or, you know, like he, it's a, in a way then a thankless job. But a good Shoshpin will just stand in the shadows and he lives for the moment when the bridegroom puts his hand on his shoulder and goes, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> oh, I want to be like that. I'm not like that yet. <laughs> I want to be like that, Lord. While everyone is celebrating the beauty of the bridal couple and no one notices the Shoshpin, the Shoshpin lives for the bridegroom's well done. So just think about these examples. John the Baptist, who said, um, I must uh, he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus, who didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, made himself nothing. Abraham's servant, um, his name not even mentioned. Paul, the way he served the church. And I mean, at times he was slandered and hated by the very bride. He was bitten by the bride that he was protecting. I mean, how many times that you, like, I must really, really love you and like you a lot to correct you. Like, honestly, like the question I ask myself when I feel I should correct someone is, do you love them enough to do it? Because it's not the most popular way to make yourself popular. It, I mean, I know when I get corrected, it's like it hurts first before it sets me free. You know, like it, it doesn't like the truth doesn't just go, oh, I'm free. The truth goes, ah, ah, ah. Okay, okay, if I process this right, I can be free. I'm free. Okay, the truth sets me free. But it takes a bit of effort between the two, you know. And um, and even that thing of, of like, I, I, this came to me now. This is like fresh out of, out of, from the Lord, hopefully. But that. Paul was one of those that loved the church enough to correct them. Are we, do we love, you know, I, I've watched you guys. Some of your husbands are so scared of your wives. But you're going to stand before the Lord with how you lead her. So yesterday, um, I was very impressed with Donnie. Donnie corrected. I was impressed because he was doing, he did it more gently than I've heard him do it before. But he corrected his wife. Guys, don't be scared of your wives. Present them to one bridegroom as a spotless bride. And husbands, listen to your wife. She's a friend of the bridegroom when she cautions you and warns you when you get distracted or when you get lazy in your faith. Friends, listen to one another. Listen to one another. Speak to one another because you love one another. I mean, some of you have like 
like personality type, like you just want a rebuke. Oh, just give me a rebuke, Lord. I would love to have a word of correction and just tune them here. Like, like show me on the forest what's in the in, and I'll call it out. There is a handful of, you know, there's special people amongst us. But for most of us, it's not fun to confront or to correct. So, you know, we are on that line. But love her enough to fiercely protect her reputation and her purity. I, I just want to land with a story um, that I heard a journalist, uh, a, a journalist, American journalist, was interviewing the director of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. His name is Leonard, Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, and he's a composer and conductor. And the question the journalist asked him, he said to him, what is the most difficult instrument was that a good accent good no <laughs> sorry <laughs> I, I just the first time i actually made an american friend i um i introduced myself to this lady and she said um i i'm what's her i can't remember her name but she's from south carolina so um i said and she said i said to her have you been married before because i noticed she had a child so she said yeah three times <laughs> That was my first, <laughs> my first, I don't know if that was bad accent, but that's what it sounded like to me. Yeah, three times. So, um, okay, anyway, Leonard Bernstein, composer and director, they asked him, what is the most difficult instrument to play? And his answer was the second fiddle. <laughs> and he said, it's easy to find skilled musicians to play the first violin with great enthusiasm and passion. But to find someone that will play the second violin with passion, with zeal, with gusto, that is really hard. And then he said, and without the second violin, there's no harmony. There's no harmony. So let's live out that attitude that Jesus had, that example of the friend of the bridegroom. Let's not play the second fiddles hoping we'll become the first violinist one day. Wives to your husbands, play that second fiddle with gusto because then there'll be harmony. Eldership teams to your lead elder. Elders to apostles. All of us to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's submit to one another. Let's play the second violin. Let's bring that harmony. Let's do it. What an adventure. You know, the, the world's call is like, be whatever you want to be. And you can change the world. Let's be like, let's be second. <laughs> let's be the least. Yay. I mean, that is actually a greater call, a way more impossible call than let's be first. A toddler can be first. Just watch them. But let's be like Jesus. Let's be good friends to our bridegroom. He's entrusted us to one another. He hasn't just entrusted us to leaders. Obviously, the leaders carry even more responsibility with that. He's entrusted us to one another.